from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. It is my honor, my privilege to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time Live. And of course, you're watching on Facebook Live on Facebook.com backslash Live Now. DT. As you know, this show has always been all-inclusive. It has always been about everybody, and everyone should feel welcome. As I always say on the show, I believe in God. I mention God, but I welcome people who have a belief, don't have a belief, whatever religion. We also welcome everybody from every background. We've talked to people, and, and people have listened and watched from all over the world. I want to thank you for that. And now as the world is watching, it is important to have one of the biggest conversations we've ever had. A conversation we've had for hundreds of years, but We've never come to an adequate or just conclusion. It's time to do that today and every day until we get to a point where people feel safe and where freedom is not just for a select few, but it's for everyone. Freedom to me is a God-given right that was taken away by humans, but it is a God-given right. It is owed to everybody, and so we need to have that discussion and we need to be willing to listen. With that being said, here on Wake Up Call this morning, I am so honored and so grateful to have Evan Adams back with me. He has been on this show numerous times. He was on the offensive line for Syracuse for numerous years, and he was picked up as an undrafted free agent by the Baltimore Ravens. We will discuss Syracuse, and we will discuss Baltimore, but bigger than anything, we will listen to Evan, because that is what we need to do in the world we live in today, and we will try to do everything we can from here to create positive, peaceful, and just change. Evan, how are you doing today? Great, great. And, I'm, you know, Evan, for me, uh, to bring you onto the show, I, I mean, initially, I was so excited that you got picked up by the Baltimore Ravens, uh, and, and I really just wanted to speak with you on that. And I know there's so many big things going on in this world. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the, the sports thing first, because I want to spend a lot of time with the the tagline of Wake Up Call, which is where sports meets life, and I want to expand on what's going on in the world. So we will get to that bigger, bigger discussion, uh, but I do want to first and foremost tell you congratulations on all your hard work paying off. Thank you. Thank you. It the world. And, and, and Evan, I, I remember, I think uh, the one moment I'll never forget from you being at Syracuse was after the games in post-game and whatnot, we can interview two players. And I remember your family was around, and and I had chosen to interview you. And then uh, somebody from Syracuse's uh, communications department had you know brought brought me over and brought you over and said, Evan, this is Dan. Dan, this is like we didn't know each other. And you just smiled and you said, Hey, man. you're like, Hey, what's going on, man? You're like, you're like, Hey, anytime. You know, you need an interview. I'm here. And that moment, those moments to me, I will always remember because you always hope you're building some type of positive relationship in this world, but I'll never forget your smile that day and you saying, what's going on, man? So it means a lot to me, and I, and I want you to know that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. You know, Evan, I, I've been so proud of you in your time at Syracuse. What did you learn from from those those years that you had at Syracuse? I mean, you earned the right to be on that offensive line. You are the one of the things that they could actually consistently rely on offensively on that line. Uh, what can you tell me about, about your uh, your time at Syracuse from your perspective? My time in Syracuse was great. I learned I learned who I truly was I learned who I truly was as a person through through football, through personal encounters. And I learned that, you know, things might not always go your way, but you have to keep on pushing and you gotta keep on trying to consistently trying to be the person that you need to be. Uh, Coach Babers always harps on, you know, consistently good, not occasionally great. And at first, you know, I took, I, I didn't really pay attention to it. You know, it's just something that a coach always says and you, you kind of just remember it. But it does apply to life. And be consistently good, not occasionally great. And that is something that, you know, I carry with me. And, you know, I find myself in, in certain situations where, 
you know, I'm having these conversations with other people and it just comes up, just be, be consistently good. Be consistently good so that, you know, people can rely on you, people can lean on you and they know you're always going to be there. You know, and, and that's something to be said, and, and that's a great quote, be a consistently good, not occasionally great, because you could take that in, in any part of your personal or professional life and see the benefits of being somebody that, uh, that someone else can lean on, and that, you know, obviously you can lean on yourself when you need yourself for that. So uh, being that, you know, you, you played in all 12 games. When you were redshirted in 2015, you came in, in, in after that in Dino's first year, Dino, Dino stepping into year number five. And, you know, the entire time he's been a head coach, you've been playing for him, but you got recruited by the staff before. We'll talk about that in a second. But playing in all 12 games in your redshirt freshman year, then starting all 12 games at right guard the next season, then playing in 13 games starting in 12 in your in your third season, and then last season starting all 12 games. I mean, you have consistently, after that redshirt season, you have been out there the entire season either playing in every game or starting and playing in every game. What can you say about that? Because you were consistently good or else they wouldn't have put you out there. I mean, for me, it was more, it was a, I have a sense of pride. I want, I wanted to be the best player I could be. I wanted to be somebody that my, my coaches could rely on and play and players alike could rely on. I wanted to be somebody who, 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 when they called on me, it was no hesitation. I was there. So for me, playing playing all those all those snaps, playing all those games, it was just it was just me fighting with my brothers every day and trying to be the best people we can be. I mean, I, I for most of for most of the games that I played in, I played next to Service, and uh, and Service is, is my brother and. For me, you know, he has such a high standard that, you know, I wanted to be great with him. And he's young he's younger than me. Yeah. But I I I look I looked up to him in a sense where he's younger than me, but he has such a standard for himself and others around him that we just had to be great together. And, you know, I had, you know, great old linemen to play with. I mean, Aaron Roberts, you know, just every day, you know, he said, "I don't, I don't care about you know all the all the rest of the all the rest of the stuff that comes with football. I just like to play." And and with those guys around me, it just made me a better person, a better player. And we went out there and we just we we tried to dominate every every single game, every single snap. And you know, those guys are, are people that you know I'll consider my brothers for the rest of my life. Speaking here with Evan Adams, uh, former Syracuse offensive lineman who's now with the Baltimore Ravens, stepping into his first season in the NFL. There was a lot of changing on the offensive line in your time that you were there. Like I said, you are Mr. Consistent, and Aaron Service, you know, with you for the most part. I mean, outside of that, we saw Dakota Davis and Patrick Davis and Carlos Vettorello and and uh, Will, you know, uh, Darius Tisdale, Matthew uh, Bergeron, and, and so on and so forth. We saw a lot of movement last year, and even before that, a lot of shifting. And Sam Heckle, when he you know was out there and healthy enough to play and whatnot. How did you navigate through all of that? knowing that there was a lot of change. I mean, was it helpful for you and Aaron to kind of lean on each other during all of that change? For me with Aaron, uh, it's funny. Um, me and Aaron, it doesn't matter what side I'm on when it comes to him because you know he plays center. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what position he's at. I know Aaron always has my back. And I and we had that kind of relationship where we didn't even have to speak there in certain plays because I knew what he was going to do and he knew what I was going to do so um as far as that goes coach coach Lynch and coach Cav and coach Babers try to make sure that we as an offensive line are a cohesive unit and we all work together so he could plug anybody in there and we we all know what it's like to play next to each other it's important especially in our offense where we take so many snaps and we and we do so many different things that we 
know what it's like to play next to everybody. I know what it's like to play next to Dakota. I know what it's like to play next to uh, Service. I know what it's like to play next to Aaron Roberts. I know what it's like to play next to uh, Anthony. I know what it's like to play with uh, anybody on the offensive line. Patrick, doesn't matter. We we all know how to play next to each other, and we all we all have a feeling for who uh, for who we're playing next to. Did you feel like the offensive line in the time that you were at Syracuse? Did you feel like they got the respect that they deserved, or or did you feel like almost uh, you guys were maybe scrutinized more than you should have been? I feel like in some respects, you know. It, that's a very touch and go topic because we are a passing offense. Let's be honest. Yeah. And uh, we 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 love to pass the ball, and our receivers are a big part of our game. And uh, if we had a bad game, you know, um, we would be scrutinized, and rightfully so. But I feel like we did get a lot of respect um, as far as as far as being being the Syracuse offensive line. People didn't respect us. And they knew that we had potential to do whatever we wanted to do. So I feel like uh, at times, you know, it was hard for us, you know, especially adjusting to 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 various changes in the offense and various changes, you know, getting plugged in uh, with different people, Matt coming in, uh, different people being able to being able to have that, you know starting five solidly and everything like that. It was it was challenging at times, but at the same time, it's no excuse for us to be, you know, great. Speaking here with Evan Adams about his time at Syracuse, uh, playing at the guard position. Uh, Evan, for you, you got recruited, and, and like I said, you, you've played the entire time that Dino Babers has been the head coach of Syracuse. You've been on the field for those four years, and now he steps into number five as you step into the NFL. But you were recruited by the staff before, and you were recruited by by my guy Joe Adam, who is now at St. Anselm, and and he was responsible for bringing in a whole new offensive line, somebody at every single position, uh, arguably on the line from left tackle all the way down the line to right tackle. What can you tell me about Joe Adam, and, and have you kept a relationship with Joe? Because he was so excited about this being the class and he wanted to train you guys so bad and he fought so hard to bring you in and he really really wanted to be a part of that and I know he's been proud from a distance but he said it was kind of bittersweet to bring in these guys that he respected but then not be able to coach you coach uh, coach Adam was was a was a guy that you know brought me in and uh, and I learned a lot underneath him but when, when the coaching the coaching staff did change and uh, he had to make that transition, you know, uh, he brought us to his house for you know the last the last dinner we would have together before he moved, and uh, he was just talking to us about you know I, I it hurts me that I'm not able to see you guys grow as players firsthand. I get to watch from a distance, but I don't get to watch you grow firsthand and, and be able to have my hand in you being a great a great player and the thing with that is you know coaches change all the time people move on people people get different opportunities in life and we uh he reaches out every once in a while just to he sees me doing something well he just he just congratulates me and uh and, and reaches out and keeps a good relationship you know he's a he's a great man and I, I truly do respect them. You know, we look at uh, the offensive line coach that you had uh, after Joe Adam uh, moving into somebody in Mike Cavanaugh, who has, uh, as I know from talking to offensive linemen in Hawaii, that uh, he has that connection at the University of Hawaii, and 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 he actually knows a lot about uh, the islands and whatnot. But uh, you know, with, with Coach Cavanaugh, he's sent a bunch of guys to the NFL on the offensive line. He's built that bridge. What can you say about what he's taught you, and and do you feel like uh, he was a good resource and a good asset for you to get an opportunity in the NFL? Uh, me and Coach Cav have had our ups and downs as far as our relationship, and uh, it's it's only made it it's only made it stronger. You know, 
me being a guy that he didn't recruit, me being a guy that, you know, was was not a product of him bringing it in. You know, I had to go through a lot of changes technically as an offensive lineman to, to give him what he wanted, you know. And and our relationship, you know, went through ups and downs, you know, because I was coached by three different guys. So it was it was hard for me at times. But Coach Coach Cav is a good man and uh he, he worked with me the best he could and we and we our relationship, you know, grew grew as we came to respect each other and it was one of those things where where sometimes sometimes I was a little hard headed and sometimes, you know, we'd had those days but Coach Cav has always been a great resource in in in, in football and you know we we have real conversations about just not even football about life, and uh, he's he's a great man. You know, um, he he taught me a lot of things about myself, and and hopefully you know, hopefully we'll continue to have a great relationship in the future because he 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 did teach me a lot. That coming here from Syracuse offensive lineman alum Evan Adams, uh, Evan. Uh, you, when you look back on your time at Syracuse, like I said, uh, you you were playing on the field the entire time that Dino Babers has been coaching the team, and so you saw a four and eight season followed by another four and eight season, and then a ten and three season where you guys were able to get to that bowl game down at the Camping World Bowl in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida, and defeat a rival of history uh, in West Virginia, I believe, for the fourth time in a row. Syracuse has done that, and then went five and seven this year and came up short of a bowl game. Uh, bring me into you know looking back on this you know four and eight four and eight ten and three five and seven you know how do you look back on your time at Syracuse because I'm a firm believer that records don't adequately show you everything so what did you take from it what did you learn from the ups and downs and the in betweens and and how do you see your time at Syracuse as far as as far as you know records go um, that first season was challenging for me. Um, just working very hard and, and, and not getting the end results you wanted at times. And, you know, I, I, I do put a lot on myself when it comes to, you know, not being ready at, at, at the time that I was. I mean, Coach Coach Lynch won one game. He's like, he, he just talked to us individually. He's like, look, Ev, you got to play better. And... You know, Coach Lynch is one of those guys where when he says something, it, it really it really strikes you because, you know, um, he's one of those coaches that he doesn't yell, he doesn't scream, he just he just want his he just want his respect and you want him and you want him you want him to be pleased with you just based off that. And when he told me I needed to play better, I did everything I could to play better and be a better player for him. And uh Coach Lynch is, is one of those guys where later on in life I'm going to be telling my kids quotes that he said all the time because Coach Lynch, you know, he, he's, a, he's a great individual and uh, he's somebody that, you know, I, I look up to as a man because he's such a great man. And uh, we, those those first two seasons were rough because there was a lot of kinks we had to work through. And then that third season, it all clicked. And then that last year, you know, it it doesn't define Syracuse as a, as a team because uh, because we had a lot of changes that we had to go through. And I believe that, you know, with, uh, with the coaches up there that are, are, are up there now and Coach Babers, they're going to be able to do great things still. And I believe in the team. I believe in the people that are still up there. And for you, I mean, to believe in that, like you said, believe in the team and, and who's still there as you step forward. What should we look at on the offensive line? I mean, you, you, I mean, to me, you were Grandpa Ev, like you, like you were there consistently, like I said. So, you know, who are these young guns that we should look out for? And some of the vets. I mean, I know obviously Service is back and got a lot of respect for the, for uh, him and everything that he's done. And I know there's other familiar faces that'll be back to help out on that offensive line, but. What can you tell me about what Syracuse's offensive line is going to look like this year from knowing these guys and being in the room with them? Uh, 
I certainly can't tell you where they're gonna where where they're gonna line up at. Uh, you know, because Coach Coach Cav, you know, he gets the feeling about where he wants you to line up. He's gonna put you there. So I can't tell you where they're gonna line up at, but there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of vets in the room as far as playing goes. They've been in the game. They know they know what it's like to be in the game. So. There's a there's a lot of guys that you know have opportunities to play. Uh, Matt Bergeron, uh, big Canadian kid, love him, love him to death. He's going to be something you need to watch. Uh, service as usual, you know. That's that's my right hand right there. He's going. He's always going to be consistently good, and he's going to be he's going to be a player. Um, you know, Darius Tisdale. He's he, he's he's young in the sense that you know he hasn't he hasn't played a lot for for Syracuse but you know those are guys that you need to watch Anthony Anthony Rag coming out of Connecticut I'm a little biased when it comes to him because I just want to see him do great but um he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna show you exactly exactly what uh Connecticut football looks like eventually and Pat Davis you know he's a savvy vet you know he's 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 an older guy He's somebody you need to watch because he's he's very technically sound and he knows what he's doing. And uh, I believe that you know wherever wherever these guys end up lining up by the end of by by the end of all of this, you know they're going to be a cohesive unit. They're going to be somebody you need to watch. Yeah, coming here from Evan Adams. Evan, uh, we got a bigger conversation uh, to get to here in a second, but I do, as I congratulated you before, I want to make a quick mention of this. The Baltimore Ravens, uh, bring me through, first and foremost, you, you go through the draft and you go through seven rounds. You don't hear your name. You you end up getting picked up as an undrafted free agent. Bring me into that, how you kind of handled the draft and, and, and when you got the conversation from Baltimore. And then secondly, what you think about joining the Ravens. Um, first, first, I want to say, like, it, it's a crazy experience, you know, during this, during this coronavirus period, like, we didn't know when we were going to have a pro day, if we were going to have a pro day, and I was up in Massachusetts with, uh, with, with my brother, uh, Shai Cullen, you know, he, my roommate for, for three years, uh, and we, we were just training, trying to trying to become better players, and you know, show off our talents and aspects that you know NFL NFL guys want to look at. And uh, when we didn't get the opportunity, you know, it was it was rough, and it was a it was a rough period because we just didn't know what was going to happen. And after after you know the pro day period had kind of went away. You know, it's this gray area where you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, luckily, I, I had a good, I had a good agent who, who you know, kept me in the loop, made sure that you know I, I was I was ready for whatever to come for whatever was going to come. And it actually the last day of the draft was my birthday, and so uh, me and my uh, me and my friend James Madison, he plays at URI right now. We were at home and we were working out, you know, good leg day. I was in the gym and uh, my agent had called me. He said that, uh, you know, the Ravens really like you and uh, it's either they're going to pick you up seventh round or they're going to they're gonna pick you up as a free agent. And I was talking to a bunch of teams with the Ravens stuck out because, you know, they consistently stayed in contact and, they were the ones that really, really talked to me almost every week. Just, just keeping in contact, keeping it, keeping it so that you know they they know that I want to be, so so that they know that they want me there. And uh, it was it was a whole great experience. Then, you know, it's my birthday. I'm I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down with you know people that I consider family, and we. I get the call saying that. You know the Ravens, the, the Ravens want you, and uh, that 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 contract's coming soon. So it was a whole, it was it was just a weight lifted off my shoulders, knowing that I I I get an opportunity to play in the, in the NFL, and it was it was an experience that I can't I can't describe. It was 
because you know you prepare for this moment your whole life and now that it's here it's just it's it's just so it's just so surreal you you're you're in the moment and you don't believe it's there and uh when i finally you know the coach reached out to me the assistant coach reached out to me um it was it was just it was just unreal. Like I woke up the next day and I thought it was a dream. And uh and I'm very thankful that, you know, the Ravens give me this give gave me this opportunity to be on their team and show what I had and be able to be able to be around them and learn from their vets and learn from the coach and I'm just very thankful. You know, and, and to join this Baltimore Ravens team, like you said, you, you got to talk with the coaching staff and you got to hear from the head coach. What did John Harbaugh say to you? Um, I never I never spoke to Coach Harbaugh directly. I only okay. spoke to the offensive line coach and the assistant O-line coach. And uh, coach, coach Harbaugh just, you know, he's a great man. He, he He's... He's a man of his convictions, and he's a man that, you know, everything you see on TV about him being a, a good dude is real. He's just a real human being, and he speaks from the heart and everything he says he needs, and uh, he's someone that, you know, you can look up to. You're joining an offense that had the well, you're joining a team that had the best record in the league last year, despite not winning a Super Bowl, had the, the best record. You're joining a quarterback that your team had to go up against every season uh, when Lamar Jackson was in was was in Louisville. You're also joining a team of a quarterback who I defended for the three years that I covered him in Louisville and said he was going to translate to the NFL, and I believed the system was going to work, and I thought he should be handed the reins. So I'm happy that he proved me right, but you're joining one of the most explosive offenses with, with a guy who I, I respect in Lamar Jackson because uh, I think it was the week that he threw five touchdown passes. And somebody in the media asked him how it felt, and his quote was "pretty good for a running back." So, what's what's your take on 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 joining joining the enemy? I guess the enemy and my enemy is my friend. I don't I don't know how we look at it now, but uh, you know, Louisville and Syracuse coming together, brother. What's that like for you? I just look at it like this: I, I hated the guy in college. <laughs> I, did. I did. I did. You know, he's. <laughs> I laugh. I laugh at myself all the time thinking about, wow, like, this guy really picked our defense apart yeah. and ran all up and down all over us, and uh, and I laugh. It's, just, it's, it's comedy to me. I feel like God's playing a real, real funny joke. You teach me something. Yeah. But Lamar, Lamar is a person, though. Uh, he's, he's, a good, he's a great human being. Uh, he's, he's humble. He just wants to be, he just wants to be the best football player he can be. And, uh, even in college, like I don't think he'll he'll remember this, but after uh, we we got blew out uh, at Louisville, I think it was my second year, and uh, got blew out at Louisville, yeah. and I was playing I was playing a hard game, and uh, you know I fought to the end. Coach ended up taking me out the the last few minutes of the game, and I'm one of those guys I like fighting to the end. Coach took me out the last few minutes of the game because I, I picked up a personal foul. And uh, Lamar, I'm, I'm out on the field jogging, shaking hands after the game, you know, because that's the sportsman-like thing to do. Um, Lamar came came behind me and tapped me on the butt. He was like, hey, good game, get, good game, big dog. I see you out there. And he just kept moving. And I was like, I was like, he's, he's, he's really just a, a very humble human being. And, you know, you come to respect people like that. And uh, I just I, I remember I remember just watching him play and somewhat being in awe of Jesus. This this guy is he's he's great. Yeah, he's great. And uh, for me, you know, now that I get to have him as a teammate, you know, I'm just thankful that you know we're ACC guys. I'm very proud of anybody who comes out of the ACC, and now I get to see you at the next level. You know. Um, Dexter, Dexter Lawrence, you know, he on the Giants. Uh, I'm very proud of him. He's he's not he's playing with uh, one of my brothers, Chris Lee. Um, uh, 
uh, Wilkins from uh, from Clemson. You know, even on the Dolphins now, I'm, I'm just I'm proud of anybody who comes from my division and and now is playing in the league. So um, I'm just I'm excited to you know beat them at the next level. And, and now you now you got to block for. You have to block for a guy who pissed you off in in college. I mean, what's I mean, like that's that's just full circle, man. Now you get to you get to block. Arguably, you know, I know you're going to go out there in whatever training camp, whatever we get from this coronavirus, and you're going to fight your butt off. And you have the opportunity to now block for Lamar Jackson. I mean, bring me into to just wrapping your head around. I got to block for the man who is beating the hell out of my team sometimes. As I said before, I feel like God's playing a real funny joke on me, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm just, I'm just thankful I get this opportunity. And you know what? I don't care that it's Lamar because you know, as, as far as quarterbacks go, you know when when Dungey when Dungey was around, you know that was my quarterback. When Devito came in the in the, in the fold. You know that was my quarterback. When when somebody's your quarterback, you don't care. That's that's not your brother, and you gotta you gotta fight for him like you gotta fight for him like like he's your brother, and you gotta go out there and protect him. So I'm I'm just thankful that you know I have I have a great quarterback behind me, and uh, hopefully um, in the future you know he'll he'll grow to have faith in me just like I have faith in him. So. Uh, coming from Evan Adams from Syracuse to Baltimore, and and Evan, uh, the conversation, you know, obviously, uh, you know, everything that's going on in sports. Uh, wake up call with Dan Satora. My tagline has always been, "quote where sports meets life." And and for me, uh, now more than ever, uh, utilizing my sports show to open up to the conversation of the sanctity and the responsibility of human life and the freedom of human life and the protection of it as well. So, uh, you know, I, I know that we've we've gotten to talk about a lot of things in, in the football field because that's what I had wanted to do uh, weeks ago. And then the, the, un, the untimely and unfortunate and just despicable and sad passing of George Floyd has brought us here today. Uh, but it's not just George. It's, it's so many people over a span of hundreds and hundreds of years and I said that the important thing to do is to listen. So without asking a question, I'm just going to open the door, Evan, as a member of the black community and, and as a person in society that I've always seen care about others. What's going through your mind and, and just what you can say about the bigger conversation that we need to not only have here on this show, but we need to have on every show and at and, and every table and every house? First off, I'm going to start off by saying this. I just want everybody to be safe. I want everybody to be healthy, and I want everybody to to know the real reason why people around the country are doing this. It's because we have we have a uh, a problem with systematic oppression, and we we as people need to come together and understand understand each other and do the right thing by each other. Um, understand that a lot of people are hurting right now and a lot of people are enraged by the situation at hand but we all just need to come together as people not not americans not as not as football players not as you know he or she or 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 any 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 type of any type of uh, group of people, we just need to come together as human beings and realize that we need to we need to take care take care of each other. And it's it's important for us to to realize that people people are people, and we need to we need to take care of each other. And I know that I know that you know it's hard it's hard at times when. You know, you're looking at you're looking at media, and you see all these all these crazy riots and, and protests. But you have to realize why they're going on. It's because people are sick and tired of the injustices that go on in this country. 
you know, and and that's and that's the thing is, you know, we've we've seen so much injustice, we've seen so many things happen, and it kind of seems like, well, I shouldn't say kind of, it does, Evan. You know, the conversation comes up, and then it's on to the Kardashians, and it's on to you know uh, American Idol and Big Brother and the NBA playoffs and this and that. It, you know, we hear about racism, we hear about, we see the videos, we you know, people are upset and they're frustrated, and then it goes away. It's not going away right now. Why do you think this time was the moment where people are continuing in all 50 states and around the world to peacefully protest and to continue the conversation? Why hasn't it gone in and out so quickly, but essentially it's it's actually stuck this time that people are really staying with this, saying, no, we can't let this, this has to be the top story that's going on. It, it pains me to say this, but it's because somebody had to make a great sacrifice for us to really be able to look and see what was going on. George Floyd made a great made a great sacrifice for us to be able to see the injustices that go on in our nation, and um, it hurts me as a black as a as a black male to you know, watch something like that and have it publicized all over TV. And, you know, it hurts me that it takes that for people to take notice and, and, and see what goes on. And, you know, God bless George Floyd and his family. But we we needed, that was, that was the, the, the final straw. And that's what made people see that we need to come together as people and deal with, this issue of of police brutality and injustices that go on, um, it, it it really it just really bothers me the, the fact that it took that. But at the end of the day, we are having the conversation now, and we are making we are trying to make a difference. Not just black people, but people of all colors and ethnicities and backgrounds are coming together to try and make a difference because we realize that. This is a this is an issue that we need to tackle before before things get out of hand and become become too harsh for us to deal with. And I'm I'm very proud of the people that go out every day and protest peacefully and and are trying to make a difference. And I'm very proud of, you know, people that aren't aren't quote unquote involved with with the issue. My white white friends, white friends, and other other people of other races are reaching out to to me as a as a black as a black male and just asking, what can I do to make a change? What can I do to be involved? And I said, and I say this all the time: the first thing you need to do is educate yourself and become more versed in in the topic at hand, so that when people ask you or people have conversations with you about what's going on you're educated and you're you're able to give well 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 thought out answers and you're able to articulate yourself with with great conviction and great meaning so i'm i'm very i'm very proud of a lot of people but there's still a lot of work to be done you know, and, and as you said, speaking here with Evan Adams, uh, Syracuse alum, and, and heading off to the Baltimore Ravens, and, and a member of the black community, and, and somebody who is unfortunately, as so many in the black community have have witnessed in their own lives, some type of racism and some type of uncomfortability in society. Uh, Evan, you know, can you speak to any of that when you you know growing up? I, I know you and I spoke off the air, and I want you to speak on whatever makes you feel comfortable, but. Just what you could say about you know having to deal with that as 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 someone in society, uh, you know, as a member of the black community that that you have had your own instances, obviously to not not to the extent of George Floyd, but you know you've had your own instances of of injustice or confusion when it's come to you just kind of going about your daily life. Well, I want to start off with this. Um. I, t- I talked to you about this earlier. Um, as, a, as a black male, you, you have to have this conversation with your parents. You know, uh, white kids have to talk with their parents about, you know, the birds and the bees. But when it comes to black kids having this conversation, it's about 
It's about how to get home safe, how to not be a target, how when police approach you, do not resist, give them whatever they want so that you so that you can get home safe and you're not a you're not another hashtag or another meme tomorrow talking about talking about police brutality. And the thing with the, the thing with that is it's it's hard for me to have conversations with other people. I asked some some of my white friends, Hey, um, do you have this conversation with uh with your parents about the police and when they say no it bothers me because i realize that i don't have the they don't have the same issues that i have and that's that's the biggest problem that we have right now i mean i live not 200 yards from a housing project in my city and thankfully you know i've i've haven't had many many you know runs with the police just because, you know, my mom took pride in, you know, listen, you, you, you can't be running out on the streets. You have to be, you have to be smart and you have to be, you have to be strong and you have to set an example for people that are just like you. And I take pride in knowing that I, I, I've done that in some, in, in some ways, but you know, I have had my instances of, you know, feeling like I was harassed or feeling like I was feeling like I, I, I didn't deserve that kind of treatment. And I feel I feel like now I feel like now I just want to educate my brothers and my brothers and sisters that, you know, are around me to to what the issues are and why we do the things that we do and why we we we're fighting this fight now to change change the way the society views black people and views views people that are different from one another because the first step in in changing changing anything is understanding and I feel like we just need to understand each other as people and I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of people that just don't understand each other and don't understand each other culturally and we just need to come together and understand each other because when you go off to college and you meet all these different people from different backgrounds. You know, sometimes they do things that are weird and sometimes it's weird to me or, or in the sense that I've never seen that before, or they do things that are just different for me. And it, and it, and it, and it strikes a, and it strikes a chord with me. And I, me as a human being, I have to grow to understand why they do the things that they do. And I feel like it's important that we come to understand each other so that we don't have fear of each other. Because when people don't understand each other, the when people don't understand each other, they come to fear what they don't understand. And I feel like now that we're having this open conversation, we we just need to we just need to be better with coming together and understanding each other because we need we need change and change is something that you know i feel like it's coming but we just need to do a better job of making sure that we go about go about these things the right way when you talk about going about things the right way speaking here on wake up call with dan tortora with evan adams we're inside of the charney's men's wearing tuxedo studios here on 3150 area boulevard east in syracuse new york uh, there's a difference between peaceful protests, uh, riots, uh, looting, and setting things on fire and whatnot. Uh, you started everything off by saying, I want to make sure people are, are safe. I, I want to make clear, and I've tried to on the show, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, that, the, that there is a, a stark difference between peaceful protests toward positive change and opportunistic people uh, who will utilize moments like this. It could be any protest about anything. To, uh, to riot, to loot, to cause violence, and it takes away from the narrative, and it, it, it hurts the narrative that's already hurting. So uh, what what's your take on that, you know, differentiating between there are peaceful protests and then there's people out there that are kind of just maybe finding an excuse to commit violence or steal something, and it has nothing to do with the message from the black community? See, the thing with that is a, a large portion of 
going about going about you know this change is is making sure that people understand why we're doing the things that we're doing and i understand you know burning down things rooting is is a terrible thing but people are enraged right now and that raw emotion you know causes people to do a lot of things that you know looking back on later they they might not really want to do but i understand why they're doing the things that they're doing and it's and it hurts the narrative and the fact that you know people are looking people are looking at the news like oh my god they're looting they're rioting and they don't understand why this is where i say we need to understand each other because you need to understand why we're doing the things that we're doing and we, we need to come together and understand that, yes, you're angry and you're mad, but you need to learn how to articulate yourself and be able to convey a message that everybody can get. And I get that. I get that that, that rage is, is real and it's simmering inside a lot of people, but we, we don't need rioting. We don't need looting. We need to convey a message and have a conversation with people so that we can better ourselves. And I love the fact that you asked that question because, you know, I see a lot of people watching the news and they don't understand what's going on, but understand why it's going on. Understand why the things that are happening are happening. You have to, you have to see the whole picture. You just can't see the small snippets that, that media want to put out and, because media is a very is a very powerful thing. You know, you can misconstrue something just by a single clip and not see the whole the whole the whole topic at hand because of the small snippet. You have to understand why that's happening and not just what's happening in the moment. That coming here from Evan Adams and, and, and Evan, you know, do you feel that the media because it's it's hard, and I always tell people, I was like, my badge says media, so by definition, but that's not how I live my life. You know, I tell the truth, and I know that that makes me a point one percenter in the media, but the other ninety nine percent, you know, they kind of, again opportunistic. Do you think the media is hurting what's going on right now by just folk? It's almost like the mean, you know, when there's if the media sees a baby being born. Or if the like, here's a, here's a good thing. If a media see if the media sees a burning building and somebody carries out a baby from the burning building, three people in the media will cover that, but the overwhelming majority of people will cover the the flames of the fire and the 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 sensational you know kind of the the building burning down. They they like to cover the negative. They like to push that narrative. Do you feel like the media well, is? That's, that's, that's just people in general. Yeah. People like. People like to see the negative, the, the, the hate, the, the hurt, instead of seeing, instead of seeing the positive and, and why, thing, why things are happening the way they're happening. And people like to, people like to see the, the, the it's, almost, it's almost like watching a fight. You like to see blood, you like to see guts, and you like to see pain. And instead of, you know, appreciating you know, the true art form of a fight. You, you want to see pain, you want to see guts. And, and that, that's, that's just human nature. You want to, you, people, people, people are curious and intrigued by, you know, things that, things that are, 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 are thrilling, you know, the, the fights, the riots, the, 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 the looting, the, they, people want to see the negative, but, it's important that we understand that it's not, it's not, it's not okay for us to just idly stand by and watch and watch and not understand. And I feel like people need to understand what's going on before you feed into the theatrics of what, what, uh, media is trying to put out. I, I know that, you know, there's a lot of good media people out there that are trying to do the right thing and convey the right message, but you always have, the people on the far left that don't really care about the movement that's happening right now. They just care about, they just care about, okay, what's going to get me the most views and what's going to get me the most, the most clicks on the internet. And, and I feel like that needs to be eliminated from media, but let's be honest, that's not going to happen. But people need to be able to, 
see media and dissect it the right way so that they see the true message of what's going on. And for you, Evan, before I let you go, you talk about we got to focus on the message. We, we got to understand what what to you is this message? What it, what what do what do you want people to understand of everything that's being misconstrued and all the stuff in the media focusing on this and this and that, eluding the writing. What do we need to understand? What in order to make positive change, what do we need to be hearing right now, in your opinion? We need to understand that the systematic injustice that's going on in our country is wrong. And we need to understand that we need to change so that future generations of black people, white people, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter, all need to have the same rights and have the same the same treatment when it comes to law enforcement. Because we wouldn't be having this conversation if everybody went through the same thing. If everybody went through the same things, it would be fair, it would be equal. If everybody, like, this is where you know, it's it's simple. It's simple. If everybody got treated the same way, people wouldn't complain. People wouldn't be as angry. But it's because a certain group of people gets treated that way and nothing happens when bad things happen to those people. And me as a black male, I understand that, you know, it's hard for people to to grasp and understand something that doesn't happen to them. But now it's easier for people to see because it's all, it's all there. You see it happening on video. George Floyd made this great sacrifice for black people, for people to be able to see exactly what's going on. And I don't care if you're black, white, Spanish, blue, brown, doesn't matter. When you see that video, I know and if, you, if you don't, if you're not hurt by that video, I don't think you're a human being. I don't think that you, you have a heart. If you have a heart, you are hurt by that video. And you're hurt by the fact that why is that happening to this man? And why is, why is it that it seems like things like that happen to black people more so than anybody else? And it is it's truly it's true it's truly sad to see that it takes that for for us to understand for us to understand that we we need to change and that we need to be better as not only you know football players football players um politicians, anything like that. We need to be better as human beings and understand each other so that we don't do this to each other. So Evan, what constitutes positive change? What 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 can happen? We we peacefully protest, we we see these these movements go on, you know, the rioting, the looting, the violence, that dissipates and we're just focused on peacefully having a conversation what constitutes us going in the right direction for you what what steps or what things do you want to see that would constitute you honestly feeling like change is happening honestly i think that it all starts with just a simple conversation before you move and make policy to 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 change something you need to be able to understand who you're talking to and why you're talking to that person before you institute anything into into policy for you know change you need to be able to understand who you're changing it for and how that change will affect the community that you're that you're touching i say i say that Things like this happen because people don't have a great grasp of the community that they're policing or that they're or that or that they're, you know, 
or that they're around every day. You know, police officers are people that are there to protect and serve and and make sure that everybody is is treated fairly. And I feel like when you're in these communities, you have to have a, a certain tie to the community so that things don't spiral out of control. You, as a, as a human being, you've seen firsthand that that when somebody doesn't understand somebody and tensions arise and you don't you don't get why that person's doing it, it makes it harder for you to assess the situation because you don't understand. And I feel like before policies are made, we just need to have this conversation and understand each other so that next time a black person is is pulled over, next time a person is 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 having an argument out in the street, next time anything happens, we understand each other and we don't we don't let it get to this point ever again. You know, and that's the thing is I don't I don't think this is this is black versus white or or anything like that. I, and I and I don't think that there's an 100 percent of cops are, are bad by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, oh, I don't I don't think that I don't think that at all. Nope. There's my my uncle was a police officer for for many years in Stanford, Connecticut, and and I that I'm thankful that I had him in my life so that I had a of relationship with police officers. I understand that police officers are people that have families that they need to get home to. I understand that they're people just like me and you. Yeah. And I understand that they're, they're people that have to put food on the table and provide for their families. And they have a very dangerous job. And I'm, and I'm not down, I'm not downplaying the police at all. They, they have a very dangerous job in which case sometimes they don't come home to their families. And I understand that. But you, as a police officer, took a vow to protect and serve. And and we just, we just need to... I'm not saying that, you know, all police are bad, but we need to take out the bad apples that are hurting the image of police. And because I don't... I, I, me as a black man, I don't want to see the police as the enemy. Yeah. I want to. I want. I want. To, I want them to be. I want them to do exactly what they're asked to do: protect and serve. Right. And and I understand that their job is very taxing on, you know, their minds and their bodies. But that's what you signed up for, and you signed up to protect the communities that you are policing. And. I'm not asking for any more, any less. Just please protect and serve equally. You know, and that—that's all that. I mean, honestly, Evan, anybody can ask for is—is is, you know that feeling of you know equal rights, equal protection, equal freedom, equal everything. And it's crazy that we have to have this conversation. It's crazy that we had to have this conversation years and years and years and years ago. But to have it in 2020, I think is. Just absolutely insane, and it's funny how there's that quote: "Hindsight is 2020." And I just wonder, as we step into 2021, what our hindsight's going to be, and how much we're going to actually learn from a year where the world stopped because of a virus, and when the world started to try and come back outside again, it, you know, we were still coming back to injustices that the virus didn't eradicate and they didn't go away. And I just remember, I, I mean, like I just talking to my mom and saying. Are you kidding me right now? Like we have all gone through being inside and having to wear masks and not knowing if we can like hug our moms and this and that. This world has had to distance itself from each other. We've already become distant through social media and all of this technology and whatnot. And so here we are with an opportunity to come out and show God and show ourselves and show the world that we learned something and the same garbage continues to happen and I just feel like, you know, the, the cup boileth over because, you know, I feel I just I, I don't know. I get a sense of walking outside going, how are we still hating people for 
literally not like the color of their skin, something they can't control. How are we still living in that world after everything we've just gone through with a virus that has never attacked the world before and we've never had to do this before and we all just went through the exact same thing at the exact same time, which should have brought us closer together and helped us to value each other, and yet there's still some people devaluing. And granted, it's the minority of people in the world that are bad. The majority of people in the world are good or, it's, or, or, or it would be burning all the time. But the fact of the matter is, I cannot believe that we're at this point. And so I guess a, a final note from you, Evan, as we've talked about different things, just a, a final note from you as, as, as what we need to do, because I will love you like a brother. I have been there through, you know, your recruitment and your time at Syracuse, and I'll be there for you with the Ravens and wherever else you go. You were actually my first interview. You were actually my first interview before I got to Syracuse. Oh, I just say I didn't even know, and that's awesome. But that's the thing is, like, and thank you for remembering that, and I'll take that with me forever. And, and that, that's the thing is, like, I will always be in your corner, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what it's like to be a black man. I don't. So what's your final message that you want people to know? I just want people to still have hope. I have hope. I have hope in humanity, and have hope that people will come to understand each other and 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 better better themselves by educating themselves on why why things are happening. I, I forget I forget who said it, but they said that the past is tense, the future is perfect. We have every single day in the future to make things better. And I feel like it's important that we take every step we can to better ourselves as individuals, not as a large group, but as individuals. Educate yourself, make yourself better at understanding other cultures and other people so that we don't have issues like this. We have to, we have to be better at communicating our feelings and our issues so that, you know, things don't boil over to this point. Because let's be honest, we could have, we, there's, there's too many instances of this happening before and us not taking care of it before it boiled over to the point where we're having riots and protests and everything. And it just hurts to see that we, we, we've, getting, we've gotten to this point where we, we have to do this. But as I said before, past is tense the future the future is perfect we have to take every day to make each other better as people that's what we need to do and i, I believe in I, I believe what you said there's not most of the world is good and i like to believe that most of the world is good full of different people and great people but we need we need to tame the evil that the world is throwing at us right now. And we need to do it fast. Well, they say that, uh, you know, the devil the devil usually fights the hardest when the biggest uh, blessing is on its way to come. And that fear is the devil's lie. And on the other side of fear is always what we're fighting for. So we will continue to do everything that we can. We'll continue to have the conversation as long as we need to have it. Because, Evan, you deserve, just like anybody else, to not only feel safe, but when you have children someday, to not have to have that extra conversation or that different conversation because those kids deserve better than that. And so do you, and so did George Floyd, and so did so many other people in our history. So, you know I love you, brother. You know I appreciate you like crazy. And and I, uh, I cannot wait to see all the great things you're going to do in your life. I know we'll stay in contact, but above everything else today... Thank you for speaking about the bigger picture. And anytime you want to come on the show to talk about it, if you feel something that you just got to get out, I, I, I know that you know this, but you can always come here. And I'm very, very grateful that you came here today to speak your piece and to speak your mind. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, much love. Uh, I really do appreciate you reaching out. Um, I, as I said before, you're one of those guys that, you know, in media, I, I don't like everybody in media, and that's me being honest. And, uh, you know, you've been in front of me, in front of many media people. I don't like everybody, but you're you're a good you're a good man, and I, I believe I believe in you know the fact that you 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 want things to be better, and, 
not even from, you know, a racial standpoint or a football standpoint. You just want media to be, you know, holistic and, and good. So I, I really do appreciate you, you know, throughout the years, you know, asking me, asking me questions that, you know, I should be answering, asking me questions that, you know, are important to the community, asking me questions that, you know, are are of substance and not just, you know, trying to trying to get something out of me. And I really do appreciate that. Um, anytime you need an interview and you feel like, you know, you need me to speak on a topic, please just call and ask because I really do appreciate it. Well, those words uh, I will take with me every single day. I'll put them in my pocket and uh, and appreciate them. So, Evan, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. And more than anything else, I hope the next time we speak, we've at least taken one step, if not many, in the right direction. I, I hope so. I hope so.